Everybody good? Yeah. yeah. All right. Three, two. Welcome back to another episode of PointCast Recap, the podcast where we talk about the latest news featured on our social media pages. We try to collect the news that matters most to voters, and we encourage legislators to not only listen, but to also act on what they hear. I'm your boy, Josh Hyde, your host, obviously, and with me today are Alex Crohannon, um, our analyst, and our writer, Anthony Arnold. Anthony, let's go ahead and talk about what's going on with our polls. Yeah. Uh, once again, uh, thank you to everyone who took the time to read and respond. None of this is possible without you guys. Uh, so we appreciate your time and contribution. Uh, if you didn't respond this time around, uh, but want to be a part of the conversation, then as always, be sure to watch Facebook. Uh, new poll questions come out every Friday morning, and then we always share them across our personal pages as well. I'm only highlighting one poll this week, and it's our most recent one, which asks, have the recent events, both the killings and protests, changed your feelings about the future of the nation? If so, how? Uh, we're going to give our opinions on the future of it later, but I thought it would be good if we read some of the feedback from our audience first. Uh, on our page, uh, Jessica Kimmel summarized it pretty well when she wrote, I find it incredibly difficult to answer. I was already scared for our nation before the killings and protests due to COVID, and I still find myself scared. However, I feel more hopeful than I did before. I'm proud of the younger generation standing up and speaking loud for change. I was proud to see the older generation at a peaceful, peaceful protest beside my daughter and I, too. All this while knowing there is still a health risk looming around us all. That answer was reflected not just on our Facebook page, but also on our personal pages. Uh, Regina Hyde, Alex Leitz, and Dustin Blevins all gave responses that were a combination of hope and fear. Uh, people are inspired by the diversity and the energy behind the protest, and seeing these issues recognized is really empowering for a lot of us. But it's also clear that for all of us, we're in uncharted territory. Uh, history and past events uh, have a way of reminding us that we started down this path before, and the police response to the protests make it clear that we have a lot of work cut out for us. Uh, and that work can look overwhelming the more you get to know about it. Uh, once again, thank you to everyone who took the time to respond. Uh, I hope you hear from more of you in our future polls. All right, man, that's it for me. Thank you, Anthony. Now, Alex, tell us about what's trending in the world of politics at the moment. All right. Well, um, if you guys uh, believe it or not, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, uh, COVID-19 cases across the United States are, um, this week passed 2 million. Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, I say, uh, with total deaths, um, are currently about 115,000. Uh, yesterday they announced 25,000 new cases across the country. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh, these um, COVID cases are still disproportionately affecting Black and Hispanic communities um, uh, for a variety of reasons we can probably get to later. Um, and all those statistics come through from the CDC. Um, particular states that are struggling with this, um, with increasing cases, are Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, and Utah. So, it's much um, longer list than I thought it'd be. Uh, yeah. I know. It's, it's very after two. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
Um, in the world of politics, um, last week's primaries gave Joe Biden um, greater than the 1,991 delegates to claim the Democratic presidential nomination. On the Republican side, President Trump also uh, has claimed greater than 1,276 delegates for him to claim the Republican presidential nomination. Um, that being said, polls over recent weeks have shown Trump support dropping um, with his approval rating uh, cratering to um, not an all-time low, but a low of, in the, say, in 38%. Um, and Biden pulling ahead in head-to-head -head challenges uh, amongst all of the major pollsters, um, anywhere between 3 and 11 points. Interesting. That yeah. would definitely be something to dig back into later. Yep. Um, and the one other thing I want to talk to uh, talk about um, is the protests. So across the country and across the world, we're continuing to see protests um, in the wake of, uh, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, protesters are calling for various police reforms, including dramatic reductions in police department funding, demilitarization of the police, an end to police warrior training, renegotiating police union contracts, an end to no-knock warrants, an end to chokehold restraints, curtailing or outright removing qualified immunity, community oversight boards, an end for, uh, to for-profit policing, and establishing a more comprehensive first responder network, including things like social workers. <laughs> That's a comprehensive list. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, it is. It is not. It is by no means a comprehensive list. I kind of uh, brought a bunch of those together and just kind of highlighted common elements that appeared in more than one list. Yeah. <laughs> but the important part is that it's a list. There are, there are things directly being asked. Right. But okay. Is that, is that what you got, man? That, those are the trends. All right. All right. Well, guys, let's dig in. Um, there's, uh, there's always a lot to cover. Um, America's kind of crazy and has been for a while. But I think, I think we should start in a hopeful place today. So I wanted to talk about the polls first. I mean, normally I want to talk about the polls first, but I, I think the talking about the polls first specifically because of this poll uh, is, is going to be helpful. I think. And like, specifically, I wanted to, to preface this by saying, obviously, like the, the poll question is still relevant here. You know, ha has, have these changed, have these events changed um, your hope for the future? But specifically, your hopes for the future are what I want to know right now. And if you want, I can go ahead and start because I, I like to be involved in all the questions that I ask you guys. So like, <laughs> I think that these, especially these recent events in, in regards to the protests, um, have shown that we as a nation are both more connected and more aware about these types of things than we ever have been before. And I do think change will happen. However, I'm a bit skeptical about how much change will actually come of it, because most of these things that we're protesting against are deep-seated and are systemic. And without some major reform, without some major legislation being passed, without some new Supreme Court case, I don't really think we're going to get a whole lot on a national level. 
but I do believe change, like a lot of change is being made locally. Hmm. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Uh, I, I, the question about the future, I struggle with it a lot. Um, I think I don't, I don't feel very good about the future. Um, it's not that I don't see the energy. It's not that I don't see the movement because I do, but there's a part of me, we've seen it before. We haven't seen it quite to this degree, though. I mean, in the early nineties, we saw something like this after Rodney King and, you know, that didn't go anywhere. Um, Throughout the 60s, we saw a lot of this kind of energy and ultimately, you know, ultimately it made it go down for a little bit. But then the 80s comes, uh, Richard Nixon comes, the war on drugs comes and sort of the systemic problems and the racism and comes, you know, roaring back in the 80s and hasn't really slowed down since then. Um, I think that any change we see will be temporary. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think you can root out this problem without basically disassembling uh, large parts of American society um, in ways that I just, I just don't think a lot of the country has the appetite for or the energy for. I think people will get burned out before, before we go all the way. Um, you know, I made something on my personal Facebook page and after this, I'll let you go ahead and say your piece, Alex. Um, on my personal Facebook page, I made a point about how, you know, we fought battles over school segregation and we won. Schools desegregated and then we took our eye off the ball and a couple of decades later, schools started to slowly resegregate. And now school segregation has reached a point that is it's pretty bad in some places. Um, so we're having to just refight these battles continuously, like you have to just backtrack with okay. We fought it decades ago. Let's fight it again now. I, I think that's where we'll be. Uh, we'll gain something now. And I think in 10 or 15 years, we'll be fighting the exact same fight over again. What would have to happen for your position to change? Um, so. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but. <laughs> Right. So at the risk of sounding, uh, well, I mean, this, okay. We'll just throw caution to the wind, I guess. It, it, you, we would have to tear down almost American society as we know it, really down to its roots, because these problems exist across so many different spectrums. Like the police violence is a problem of, uh, it is a problem of too many guns have led to a, you know, escalation that's one problem the second problem is that police in general are just too violent with everybody josh you've made this on your page you made this point people are like oh well you know this white guy was killed and nobody cared but the the question isn't the question is why aren't you mad when a bunch of white people are also killed by cops because they're also killing white people it may not make as much of the news but it's happening to white people too white people should be more mad like black people should be so we have a police violence problem a gun problem and then a racism problem um you have to solve all three we haven't been able to solve one 
So if you ask me what would happen, we would have to figure out a way to reduce this escalation of violence that happens on, you know, police see all the guns and they feel they need to escalate and become more militarized. Okay, so we need to solve that. We need to solve the general violence problem and then we need to solve the racism problem because um, any new laws, no matter how well they're written, they're going to be interpreted by the people carrying them out, right? And if those people are racism, racist, the way they interpret the law is racist. Like, I think about what happened in New York with the lady who called uh, the cops on the guy bird watching, right? The reason he was in danger wasn't because of police, it was because of her racism. So even if there was a group who was supposed to respond to these sort of low-level uh, interpersonal conflicts, you know, if, if there was a number she could call, 811, say, hey, call 811, this is a non-armed response, she wouldn't do that. She would have called the cops on him no matter what because she was racist. <laughs> you got to solve that. To protect that guy, you can't just solve the cops. You have to solve her racism. That's a good point. <laughs> because <laughs> it like if you if you examine it logically it is all connected and right. like a a weird like giant spider web of nonsense yep and like even if you do like crack down on one problem that does not fix all the other problems that created the first problem you're dealing with as a whole so yep. i i wasn't even thinking about it that way I mean, like, I guess, like, I knew that, but like, I didn't cognitively think about the fact that all of this needs to be fixed at the same time. If we're really gonna change anything there, well, and right. I don't know. I said, all right, counter argument. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm a bit of a like a bit of a computer scientist problem, and what there. Um, so part of the principles of any program is. Um, you design with use with user error in mind. If there is a problem with your uh, with, like, if the user error is capable, if the user is capable of using something incorrectly, that's a problem with your design. So, um, I don't. You don't actually. So to to your point, right? I don't actually um have to address if I if it's well designed. I don't have to address her racism. I have to address the the like the systems in um, bias. So I'm going to take it out of her hands. There's not 811, there is 911. Operator, how can I direct your call? Um, there's this black guy bird watching and I don't like it. All right, well, I don't need a man with a gun or a woman with a gun to show up and make that pro like and solve that problem. I need like a, like a, a crisis counselor and nonviolent go over there and um, deal with this. I don't know what it's about. It's some civil dispute. Go. But what she actually said, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm trying to look it up as we go. Um, what she said, though, wasn't something, wasn't it something along the lines of like, I'm in danger. No, no she 100% she said the man is right. threatening my life. Right. So if she called but the she operator that verbiage. Says, Right. If she calls the operator and says, there's a black man threatening my life, they're sending people with guns. That's what they should do. That is what they should do if you call the operator and say, I am being threatened. My life is in imminent danger. They should send people with guns. This is what I, we saw with John Crawford and Walmart, right? Someone called John Crawford. They, they, uh, John Crawford and sorry. Walmart. Pardon, they called sorry. and said, he has a gun and we're in danger. They, they, oh, sorry. I mean, allow, allow me to I, say yeah. Allow me to, all right, I'm gonna, I, I agree, 
uh, let me clarify what I'm saying. Yeah. I agree. Um, that's let's say that's a problem, but I disagree that the the first line is let's get more people with like let's resolve this conflict with violence. That's that's right. the last thing you want to do. Have some type of a crisis counselor being like, hey, all right, we're gonna go in there and um, let's say maybe they're like maybe they're wearing um, let's say Kevlar or things like that. But they're going to try to, you know, settle this non-violently and only call in um, a SWAT or a combat team, uh, I don't know, when the shooting starts. But that's, uh, that's not going to work. That I, mean, I just in, can't. That works in every other developed, na- that, sorry, that works in every other civilized developed nation works in the uk it works in australia it works in denmark it works in sweden it works in switzerland like no no (laughs) it works so if you call the police in in denmark and say my life is in imminent danger they are sending a non-armed response um they say the non-armed um the non-armed responder is the first responder they are the case lead they're they're calling the shots and you do not question them. They're the expert and you listen. So the FBI has done like the FBI has training on this. They do this all the time. Uh, so this is a so that is a, a good point that is related to what we would have to do. Because I think what you mentioned about the FBI is a relevant point here, which is like the FBI is well trained and responds to these things in a way that is not typically like psychotic, which is the problem with the local police is that they are actually psychotic. That are a whole, no, all right, all right. I'm, I mean, if I had a choice, if I had a choice, I was like, look, do I think that the FBI is more or less likely to do something terrible than like the Indianapolis police? I'm like, well. I haven't been gassed by the FBI recently. I'll roll my dice with... Right. <laughs> I'll roll my dice with the feds, I guess. Not that I love them, but you know. <laughs> okay. Okay, we should move on. <laughs> we should... We're, yeah. we're getting off track. We, we, we should, should move on, but but I do wonder, though... I, so, I, you know, I do wonder how, in a, in a country with like 330 million guns, if you call the police and say, I am in fear of my life, particularly if you say the words, there is an armed person threatening me, which is what we see happening again and again, right? Like, Tamir Rice, it was fear of a person calling the cops. John Crawford, it was a fearful racist person calling the cops. Some of these are like, you know, Eric Garner is a different one, but some of these are just scared people who are racist and scared, and they call the cops, and they exaggerate to the cops, and the cops respond in a very predictable way. Maybe we could change the police response the way you mentioned, Alex. I hope that's the case. I don't think we will. <laughs> Structures are easier are easier to change than people. Now that is true. <laughs> that is that is fair. And definitely something worth digging into maybe a little later. Uh, ways that we can adjust police response because I do think that there's, there's a benefit if, if 
there is really someone being threatened, there is a benefit in bringing someone to the scene that can deal with that threat. Doesn't need to be a whole unit for one person. Doesn't necessarily need to be like 15 different cop cars that show up and then next thing you know, we got Rodney King. Like I, I think that in, in a lot of these situations, um, a different beginning response and a different mentality going into the situation leads to a very different outcome. Because if the plan is de-escalation rather than silence, I think that that's, that's probably what we need. But we don't, like I said, we don't need to get into that. There's a bunch of other stuff I want to talk about today. Um, we don't need to get too deep into that. But like the, the next couple things I do want to talk about are all involving the, uh, the unrest in America. And part of it um, is the police response. I mean, I know we've talked about this a little bit. Um, and effectively i want to i want to get you guys opinion on something because i've noticed this um as i'm like talking with people and a couple other things and I, there's lots of there's been lots of posts about it both on uh you know pointcast but also on personal facebook pages about how like there's there's a i almost want to call it like a deeper racial divide than there has been in quite some time and i know that part of that is simply the fact that black people are just like very out right now, very much trying to elicit change. Um, but it's also been quite clear um, when you watch, like when I see my white friends deal with their other white friends and family, just how differently people see the world right now. And because we're all connected and all these things can be shared in a way that we haven't been able to before we can see things like uh i mean i'm pretty sure you guys have seen it like videos of uh you know people having conversations about race to their parents and like how i'm not trying to be particularly negative here but like how bigoted some of these people are and how deep-seated their concerns and you know thought processes really are because these are like people's parents like these are people who don't necessarily consider themselves to be bad people um, and other things along those lines. But there's also very clearly a difference in how they see black lives versus how they see lives of other races, or in some cases, how they see all races that aren't white in comparison to white people. Um, and so that, that's something I want to dive into just a little bit and get you guys' opinion on that, because that's something that I've very clearly seen, especially throughout these last few weeks. All right, I'm sorry, what's the question? <laughs> I guess I didn't really ask that. Have you, have you noticed a deeper than normal racial divide when it comes to both black people versus white people, but also more specifically white people versus white people when we're talking about things like Black Lives Matter right now? Um, from my personal, just my obviously this is all like personal stuff. Um, I I haven't. I don't know if it's been deeper than normal. Um, if anything, I think I I've actually been kind of surprised at the number of uh, white friends and in some cases even family members who who have very strong opinions about police brutality and have messaged me privately to say like, hey. You know, we're really like sorry all of this is happening and it has to be really weird for you. know, I've had a few of those messages. Um, they, they caught me off guard, to be honest, because uh, I, I thought people were more conservative than they were. Maybe they still are, but so I, I haven't seen it as much in terms of white versus black. Now, the white versus white, 
Uh, that part I have to, um, because there does seem to be, there definitely seem, seems to be uh, a realization among white allies that black people can no longer just carry the burden and, and they support sort of silently from the sidelines. I think a lot of them have realized you're gonna have to get out in front with us. And in some cases you're gonna have to get out in front in front of us because we're exhausted. And sometimes we need you to kind of shield me. Sometimes you get to take the blows for the next like, I don't know, month. I've been taking them for like 35 years. Surely you can take the next month off. Like, we've seen that so, like actually like physically in the protests yeah, themselves. Like we've yeah. seen lines of white people <laughs> protecting the black people from the police. Right. Right. So um, I think some of them are out there saying to some of their white friends and family, like, look, uh, you either get on board or get the hell out the way, uh, which has been refreshing. I mean, divisive, but refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a white person, I'm, I'm very interested in, in your opinion on this, Alex. <laughs> oh, no. Um, actually... So I will say, I say similar to what Anthony was saying. Um, I've seen a lot, like about the same, like about the same, really, um, in terms of like white versus black or uh, or the like. Um, I have uh, recently. I've seen a lot more. Um, uh, let me say, uh, Latinx versus black come up a lot more than I ever expected to. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> that part. Oh, um, boy. and just, uh, and I, I don't really feel qualified to like uh speak to that. Just an just an observation, like just an observation that it is occurring. Um, but yes, uh, definitely an uptick in um kind of what say uh, kind of what you were uh, describing, Anthony, where um people who. Uh, more being more aggressively liberal um being more aggressively inclusive uh i say instead of like um tacitly saying like yeah um like well, say uh, and you incorporating them into your group but like actively um fighting people who try to um disenfranchise or discourage them Yeah. Yeah, man, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. And like you, I'm not qualified to speak on some of this. So I'm not going to try to, I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth, but I, I will say there has been a lack of support from some corners. Uh, that has really, uh, that, that part has caught me off guard completely. Um, yeah, like you said, I, and I'm still, and honestly, I'm still trying to wrap my head around some of it. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to expand on it. I'm still trying to make sense of what I'm seeing and why I'm seeing it. But I've definitely noticed the lack of support from corners that I thought would be more on our side. And I go, oh, huh. So, well, that's not what I expected to happen here. So Which, uh, just maybe, we, maybe we can circle back to this one like in a month or so. Yeah, when when the chips fall and we we know a bit more about where people's allegiances really lie. Well, I'm saying this kind of goes back to what we've said before in this show, right? Like different groups are not monoliths. Um, 
Just yep. because you have things in common does not mean you agree on everything. People yep. are complicated. <laughs> they are. Now, one of the last things I wanted to get into or going to touch on when we're talking about kind of the, the general like civil unrest here in America is uh, some of the things that I'll go ahead and break it down because I, uh, there's like a specific like headline that I have in my head that like I, I think about whenever I'm about to say this phrase, but it's basically the difference between like performative versus real allyship. And like, as more and more people have gotten involved in like the protests and trying to enact change in the world. We've seen lots of different people slash groups slash a lot of things both get on board in some ways or just like act like they're on board in some other ways. And I mean, I, I feel like you see it most when it, when you look at some responses from like corporations, but like, I, I also see it, in people like I, I know a lot of people who right when shit started popping off um sorry about my language uh <laughs> right right when everything started going down right when the protests started they were like sharing things on facebook all the time they were like i support people and now like radio silence or you come yeah. to find like all these companies that say they stand with people still have very racist roots in like their executive branches and like a bunch of other shit that like doesn't really feel real. It just feels like they're putting on, as I put it, a performance. And we, we saw that most directly with the police themselves. There have been several situations in where the police will have knelt or walked with protesters, and then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, they're tossing tear gas. Uh, which so, I will remind people is a war crime. False surrender is a yeah. war crime. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, like, I wanted to get you guys' opinions on, or some some of your opinions, and even some examples if you've seen them, of of allyship that you feel is performative versus people that you you may have met or talked to that feel like they're really part of the movement right now. Well, uh, I will say I did uh, not anticipate Ben and Jerry's to be the uh, <laughs> uh, to be the new the uh, corporate sponsor of Black Lives Matter, but. I, mean, I did not either. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, my my favorite one, my favorite one so far has been the the guy who uh, your company makes tasers, man. Your company makes tasers. Yeah, you can get all the way the fuck out of here with that. And again, excuse my language on that one. <laughs> you make tasers. Your company can go ahead and just. We don't need to hear from you at this moment or any other moment. Like. <laughs> Uh, so that's been my favorite performative one, um, on a, on a corporate level. <laughs> what about you, Alex? What are your thoughts? Um, so I guess, uh, to the surprise of no one, um, say Disney, uh, coming out and, um, I mean, they're not funding, you know, spending the, they're not touching their war chest of money uh, um, at all, but say donating a bunch of money and um, standing behind, um, and I'm going to butcher his name, um, Boyega? John Boyega? I think that's right. 
I think um, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, who has more, like, who's kind of become the unofficial Black Lives Matter um, uh, voice in the UK. Who, uh, like, who very rightfully was concerned about, like, yeah, I might just, like, lose my career over this, but this is more important. Yeah. I think the Boyega one is, uh, <laughs> Francine, uh, Francine, our, our, uh, has, has entered the chat with the note about the NFL supporting Black Lives Matter. That one is actually my favorite one of a corporation who can just go ahead and uh, kiss off, man. I don't. Yeah. Until Colin Kaepernick has your job, Roger Goodell, you can go ahead and uh, exit stage right forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, those yeah. are basically my exact thoughts um, when I saw some of the things that they put out there. And I was like, but Kaepernick, though. Like, every time I saw the thing, I was like, but Kaepernick, though. So uh, there was a. I will say I have seen a lot of um, a lot of people who were very upset and very vocal about uh, Kaepernick's um, not you know peaceful protest um, coming back and being like I was wrong. Like what I ever uh, say, I I like I didn't understand. I didn't know. Um, not not that these are like not to excuse past behavior but like i it's important that like people are capable of change and the only way that they're going to do that is if you let them yeah that's fair i did see that too that's fair. um there there's uh especially in in relation to kaepernick's kneel uh and what that was obviously supposed to mean i think there were there was i saw like that, that floating around, especially Facebook, that left floated around a lot of the, the several different people referencing that and being like, I didn't understand or that I didn't know. And that doesn't make it okay. But like, now I get it. Now I understand why he was kneeling. I see it. I seen it. I seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> right. And like, that's most of my own personal experience has been people um, who are white. I went to a, for, for those of you who may not know, I think you guys both already know this, but I went to a predominantly white, uh, college and so i have a lot of white friends which makes sense i was the token black guy for the majority of my college life uh that's just kind of that, that's a, that's a thing um and a lot of them like about a, a solid week and a half after the protest just like you said anthony just kind of messaged me and we're like hey um we see this shit and uh it's not okay and i'm sorry and i was like i i didn't expect you to say anything but thanks <laughs> and one other thing that kind of surprised me was how I felt immediately following this next point, which was, what can I do? And I got this question yep. a lot from a lot of different people. And at first, I got mad because my natural response says, like, that, that's not my job. It's not my job to tell you what you're supposed to do. Like, you have the tools, use them. And then it occurred to me that that's not how people grow. Like I, I, as you said, Alex, you're actually part of the reason why I feel this way um, because of some conversations that we've had. Like you have to, you were going to what? I I was going to mention that like a a bit uh, coming up and just like my own personal uh, 
struggle here is always like it's always a matter of like but like i like i could do more right like you could always do more um and so a question of like well what what more can i do and uh yeah that's a struggle <laughs> it is because yeah. I, I feel like there's there's no real way to ask you to do more i feel like as a black person i have no idea how to tell you to not be racist like i, I don't i don't know if i have the correct vocabulary the correct mindset the correct anything to guide you in that way because i feel like most of that is like internal like you have to struggle with that as a white person and come into society with a changed mindset because obviously the mindset right. is the biggest issue here when you're looking at how these people respond to things like the the cooper lady in fucking the park when when she called the police on that bird watching guy like i don't like obviously the problem there was how she thought that situation should go not anything that he actually did wrong because if you look at the facts he really didn't do anything wrong all he did was call right. out a a policy that she was not following that's all so like i i think that my biggest struggle when i have these conversations with people is like helping them grow because i don't know what that looks like for each person because obviously that that can't be the same for everybody and right like i i know now oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off um I, I, I'm going to say this last point and you can, mm -hmm. you can go ahead and jump in. Yeah. Um, I know now that I need to be receptive to them, to them learning because if I'm not, I'm not helping them grow. And that, that only serves to like further let the problem exist rather than being part of the solution. Sure. Um, and I think it's another uh, important thing to keep in mind for like for everybody, right. Is that you don't know what you don't know true which uh, uh i'll elaborate a little here um so if you aren't aware of of one of your like implicit biases then you can't work on solving that implicit bias because you don't know that it's there and sometimes you need a uh someone who's not in your head um to point that out to you and be like hey so this thing that you did um wasn't okay and here's why mm. and i as a, not to put like and i don't put and i don't want to put that onus on any one particular group or person in particular just that you know self-improvement is hard <laughs> yep truth yeah you, you so, look like you've had a lot of thoughts anthony i, I want to hear them yeah i i kind of have i i've been kicking this around i'm gonna circle back to something you said earlier alex because you mentioned john boyega and i i thought about it because we were talking about real versus performative and we talked about what some of this actually looks like sort of as you move forward and ever since he gave his 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 speech you know his big one his first big one I've been thinking a lot about how he said, um, like you said, he, he said, I don't want to, you know, this may cost me my career, 
which I don't think was a real possibility because Disney, uh, their aspirations are so big that they just, they, 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 they do not want to alienate themselves from a large audience at this moment. But I've also thought a lot about how, and the reason I'm using Boyega is because, one, I'm assuming he won't hear this. So, so I feel safe <laughs> that he's not gonna <laughs> he's not gonna sick his army of fans or lawyers on us. Um, but you know, so what would John Boyega? What would it look like if he was to really go all the way, right? Which is Disney itself. Um, we're all nerds here. So in the Rise of Skywalker, they sidelined Kelly Marie Tran in large part because of the troll response from a bunch of uh, basement-dwelling racists who were just in sins at the appearance of an Asian woman in their favorite movie, right? And Disney Blink, right? And so what John Boyega would have to do is get together with other Black filmmakers and actors and producers and stars and actually break off from Hollywood. That's what it would look like for John Boyega to really put his foot down all the way. And yeah, it would come with a financial consequence. He would be cutting himself off from franchises that are uh, no doubt very valuable and lucrative for him. But you look at what someone like uh, Tyler Perry has shown, there is a market and there is an avenue in which he could exist along with other prominent black Hollywood members. And there is a route to fabulous wealth and influence outside of traditional Hollywood uh, channels. And that's what John Boyega would have to do. He would have to get together with Jordan Peele and Ava DuVernay and Steve McQueen and Denzel Washington and Will Smith and a bunch of other prominents in Hollywood. And they would have to break off from a Hollywood culture that is inherently against people like them. Dude, why does John Boyega think his character got shafted so hard in Rise of Skywalker? Does he not think that's because of, does he think these things aren't related? why his character arc went absolutely nowhere, why it seems Disney was really hesitant to make a black man like a potential like prominent Jedi and Force user. Does he think Does he think there's nothing there to mine? I think there is, and I think he should be asking those questions. <laughs> did, did, did you just overlook Mace Windu? I feel like you did. Uh, <laughs> so, Samuel, so let me say about, so Mace... Mace wasn't the future of the franchise, right? The Mace Windu arc was going nowhere. Mace was killed. He was tossed out of a window. That was it. John Boyega's character, like, you're, 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 you're in this universe, and you should be asking why they didn't want to promote you right up there along with, they, you, know, uh, you know, why they didn't want to put you up there with Daisy Ridley. You should be asking that question, John. Because you might find this a similar answer that Denzel Washington has when they ask him why people freaked out with him and Julia Roberts in the movie, like 30 years ago. You might find it's the same answer, John, that what you need to do is break away from that. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to go ahead and nip that in the bud before the Boyega team comes down in... in <laughs> cancels podcast <laughs> but um that's i'm actually really glad that i got you guys opinions on some of those things because like there, there are things that i've been mulling around in my own head and like talking with a lot of people um 
Of course, Francine's calling the lawyers now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, This is... This whole process has been multifaceted and obviously with a lot of groups of people. And one of the things that I've always said from the beginning is that I I very much enjoy the buy-in that we've had from like what feels like everywhere. Like not even just among the black community because when it comes to things of tragedy, we're always on the same page, even if we don't always agree with what to do afterward. But like we we always come together when one of our own is is taken from us but i i've learned within this process but that, that there are really especially a lot of younger white people that are 100 percent with us um and all about making change changes that affect them too because obviously like you said it's not just about black people anymore um this is really about everybody and what the police are doing about everybody um but like in a general sense, like we've seen protests happening internationally at this point. Like there's, there's been so much going on um, that like the, the buy-in from everywhere is great. I just really hope, and this is my own hope for the future, that that continues. Like what I really don't want to see is, like you said, a month or so down the road, we don't have nearly as many people at the protests. We don't have nearly as many voices sharing things on social media because at that point they think it's done when no real changes happen yet we we have talks there there have there have been some um some like arrests sure but like there there's not the the what am i trying to say the finish line has not been reached we're still running the race and it's going to be a race for a minute so for all you who are listening who are are part of the movement please continue the energy we need it we need it for as long as humanly possible if we're really going to do anything and i i'm very very glad that i got you guys' uh voices on this because i i kind of i have this really bad habit of putting off conversations with you guys about stuff because i want to talk about it on here but (laughs) um (laughs) like there's just there's a lot going on right now and it's 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 very important that we we know where we stand and more importantly we know what our voters want because it's obviously what we're all about here at Pointcast. Speaking of, um, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliac Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and of course, Pointcast News. To listen to any of our other podcasts, uh, please go to our website at pointcast.news or find us on Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook because that is where we post all of our polls and uh, other various articles and whatnot that we really appreciate you guys interacting with. Again, thank you as always for listening, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Josh and the boys out.